0: Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent.
1: Hello, and welcome back to episode eight. This is the last episode of our first season. How amazing is that? Like, ah, mate can't believe it it's gone by so quickly oh my gosh so quickly so many hours of research and just like
0: writing essays every week
1: i have loved it though i am loving it i have enjoyed it learned a lot learned a lot yeah
0: definitely and it's been great sharing what we've learned with you guys of course yeah Um, and yeah welcome to those of us who are also tuning into us for the first time so hello um so we're it's a continent and um yeah we just talk all things about african history remembering that africa is not a country is in fact a continent Mm -hmm. fact check yeah (laughs) um yeah how's your week been it it has been quite a tough week i think um particularly um with the current climate and uh you know two pandemics going on not just covid but of course the ongoing systemic racism that we've seen um play itself out yeah. um but i don't know do we feel somewhat encouraged or you know just by this to be honest i don't i've been thinking about how do i feel about especially a lot
1: of people kind of coming at this like oh my gosh i didn't realize that Mate. this is the experience you were having but you're like yeah. me we've been talking about this since day one we've not stopped do you know what i mean and actually like i don't want to say i'm tired but it's more because we've i've grown up around like from an early age knowing that there will be these barriers for you to succeed systemic racism does exist you've just Mm -hmm. gotta like you know you just gotta try try your best but you know, people, you will always be um, kind of at the bottom of the pile. Working do will... times as hard, all that kind yeah. of Yeah. So that's always been part of the story. But now that other people mm. are realising it, i be like, huh, this has been happening since day dark. We've always, <laughs> like, we've been talking about this
0: every single time and you're just accepting it now. Yeah, I'm like, were you asleep? Like, but I don't know. It's, I, I guess it's le- better late than never. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, we've been saying this.
1: yeah. Over and over again. It's
0: like a broken record. Hey, if this brings about change
1: and things are happening, then you know, all yeah. Good. That is that is good.
0: Yeah, I'm all for it if I think if it's followed up by appropriate action, appropriate unlearning, mm-hmm. I think then we'll start to see a gradual change.
1: It's nice to see places like coming from Devon. I'm not gonna lie, I did not expect there to be lots of protest but it's actually really nice for to actually see people coming out especially in places where there isn't that much yeah. black presence that i've been like raw yeah
0: yeah there were protests in like yeah. in my home supposed hometown south end there were protests and i was like okay you guys you guys come you know, halfway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that statue that fell over, like Saddam Hussein. Um Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to be held to my words on this podcast. <laughs> final episode. Where are we going? Where are we to? So we are in Ghana for our final episode. And um, I highly recommend. I've been once, and since I came back, way back six years ago, I've I wanted to revisit so yeah we're in ghana this week and um on the 6th of march 1957 ghana was the first african country south of the sahara to gain independence from european rule and in today's episode we're going to discuss the story behind how ghana fought for independence from the british empire
1: so to begin with, let's explore kind of Ghana's background. So oral traditions state that the area that's known today as Ghana was a highly developed culture. The Akan people traded gold and coda nuts for various items. Portuguese traders named the area of the Gold Coast in 1450. Um, and by the end of the 16th century, 10% of the world's gold was produced there. In the mid 16th century, Dutch, Danish and British establishments were set up with the aim of trading gold, diamonds, ivory, and most importantly, slaves.
0: Yeah, so this kind of brings back the message home that slaves were essentially in the same bracket as these other commodities. Um, So that is slaves being human beings. So that kind of just puts into context um, the value of, of African lives back then. To
1: be honest, I feel like minerals like gold diamonds and ivory were treated way better than the slaves were i'm just
0: i'm sure no i'm absolutely sure that they did not throw the gold overboard to get money so Mm. yeah
1: oh definitely not definitely not you're keeping that somewhere nice and you know keeping it nice and warm taking yeah taking care of that rather than an actual human being but hey the danes built christian borg castle in accra which is now known as osu castle whilst the Swedes built Cape Coast Castle, which was used as a slave depot to store slaves, waiting to be loaded in a next available ship to Europe.
0: <laughs> it's actually a bit of a madness, that, um, <laughs> the lack of respect. And I've, I've been to Cape Coast Castle, and I really recommend um, that everyone goes and visits it. If you do get the chance to go to Ghana or West Africa, at least try and get to Cape Coast in Ghana. Um, and just to see the Door of No Return where... Human beings are essentially just cooped up for days in the darkness, um, you know, with minimal food, no hygiene. And um, yeah, it's, it's really hard hitting. And I I'd definitely recommend that visit.
1: Cape Coast Castle changed hands and was run by the British from 1665. The competition for gold, ivory and slaves. And <laughs> yeah, like we're saying competition for slaves in the same breath as gold and ivory um it's just honestly was so intense that the gold coast had the highest concentration of european military warfare outside of europe out of the 110 forts and castles in west africa a hundred of them can be found in ghana's coastal region by the early 19th century most of the gold coast fortresses were under british rule the ashanti people were an ethnic group who controlled most of the territory of ghana before europeans arrived and they were often in conflict with colonizers. In this instance, the Ashanti people saw the British as interfering in their conquered territories and fought back. This was concerning for the British colonisers as they didn't want the Ashantis to control and monopolised trade if the Ashantis conquered the southern part of the region. In 1806, the Ashantis attacked the Fanti people, who were backed by the British, and the Ashantis won. There were then a lengthy series of wars to come as the Ashanti Kingdom sought to progress towards the coast in the south with the aim of minimising British power. In 1821, the British took control of the coastal regions in the Gold Coast, this was acquired when Fanti chiefs paid their debts for British Alliance by signing a legal document which paved the way, unbeknownst to them, to colonialism. This newly acquired area was named Cape Coast and was the capital of the Gold Coast until 1877, when it was chained to Accra. In true colonial fashion, churches and English-speaking schools were built... And by 1902, the British gained full power of the Gold Coast by defeating the Ashantis with the help of the Fantis, Gas, and all the enemies of the Ashanti Empire. So very much that classic, like, divide and conquer, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, pretty much turning people against people, but then it's actually for the British's benefit.
1: Definitely, and... Yeah, the British then ruled over Ghana until March 1957.
0: It's like they know what they're doing with this sort of coloniser approach. as like the triad of speaking English, you know, introducing churches, turning people against each other. Um, yeah, it's pretty consistent. Mm. And
1: it's literally something they've just, they did absolutely everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. it's a formula that they were like, okay, this seems to work. We'll just carry it on. We'll just carry, you know. Control no- <laughs> C,
0: control V, my friend.
1: If it's not broken.
0: Yeah. <laughs> why fix it
1: yeah like it's just absolutely ridiculous but hey it happened it happened
0: so now we're going to talk about the post world war ii climate in ghana so we're just skipping forward a couple of years or actually a few decades um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this is a decade skip. This isn't
1: one of those like, you know, slow skips. We're skipping decades.
0: (laughs) We've skipped decades because this is how long the British were ruling over the Gold Coast, as it was known at the time for. So, yeah. During the World Wars, African soldiers were enlisted into imperial militaries fighting for the Allies in World War Two. This led to a deeper political awareness and the expectation and hope of greater respect from Europe and a greater sense of self-determination. So this is an issue that we both have, really. There's this misconception that African and African countries weren't involved in World War Two, and it's almost as if they've just been completely erased, yeah. um, you know, considering the fact mm-hmm. that the majority of African countries were still under European rule. Um, I guess many of them felt that this would be a way for them to be respected by the europeans and at least to be seen on the same level playing field but as we can see this didn't happen
1: no not at all and i think it's crazy now thinking about it that i actually used to think africans weren't involved in world war Two. like I would, honestly yeah. j- i'm just we like we
0: wouldn't have known because school didn't tell us that did yeah they? i
1: was never like all the pictures were like oh look just all, of- <laughs>
0: just all white people right it's
1: just like george from-, <laughs> <laughs> <Ian>. <laughs> from yeah do you know what i mean george and ian from i don't know random wales were part of you know do you know what i mean they were in this battalion yeah. and you're like oh where where are the africans I was just so i thought i've just yeah. made in my mind i was like okay World War II was something we were like, nah, we're not, this yeah, is not. Yeah,
0: it's like, okay, maybe we weren't involved in that. Okay, mm-hmm. this is, yeah, another thing I don't know about my heritage.
1: I just wonder also, like, how they were, how Africans in World War II were treated mm. by the likes of Britain do you know what i mean like were they seen as allies who took part or actually you're kind of like okay you go first and (laughs) then we will go after you
0: i guess it's almost like a sort of b team scenario because african soldiers were paid significantly less than their european counterparts um so they were just sort of seen a disposable like oh they're just more of us sort of thing um yeah it's just imagine that honestly they, they put them in tears I mean that's just you'd say it's unimaginable today there is still the ethnic pay gap um mm-hmm. i mean now it's like oh no like people wince at the fact that there is an ethnic pay gap but back then yeah it was a brazen thing it was like oh so what yeah they are less than us you know that was the attitude back then
1: yeah that's uneven yeah it's just the fact that they wanted to try and create this kind of level playing field but even then they weren't They weren't considered equal.
0: And this is, I guess, is what we say with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Like even, I say even back then, but just to highlight the fact that this has been, this is in modern history because I think that a mistake a lot of people make is that you know the mistreatment of black people was something that's been relegated to you know the times before cameras the times before you know like the 1800s or yeah 1700s but world war ii was actually not that long ago in the grand scheme of things no
1: definitely not and it's just kind of again whole yeah history repeating itself in a slightly different way obviously but at the same time we're still trying to be we want to be recognised as equal because we are we should be and we are but it's just the fact that it takes us having to say it years and years and just like we said before like just earlier like the fact that we've all been brought up on this with this idea of like systemic racism exists it's going to be difficult for you you're just gonna have to try your best and all of a sudden everybody's had this awakening but mate throughout history our people have had to deal with this idea of just never being good enough yeah. or being seen, like, being equal enough to be treated exactly the same as you are. So um, it's just, yeah, I think it's just, so it's so hard that we've just not learned from from the past. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I completely agree. So this respect that the Africans uh, that fought in World War II were looking for never materialised. Um, so Europe never really showed respect to them as, as, you know, just even as a basic courtesy for fighting for the Allies during World War II. In February 1941, the US President Franklin Roosevelt and British PM, the illustrious Winston Churchill, met to discuss the post-war world, and this was called the Atlantic Charter. Whilst Roosevelt included a provision in this charter stating that imperial colonies should be autonomous, Winston Churchill didn't think so. The US and African colonies pressured Britain to abide by the Atlantic Charter, but Britons considered African colonies to be childish and immature. And Churchill stated that the Charter was only applicable to German-occupied states, not to the British Empire. However, colonies such as Nigeria, Senegal and Ghana pushed for self-governance as colonial powers were pretty knackered by war efforts.
1: Like, honestly, listen to the US out here being like, guys, (laughs)
0: colony. Or when you have the US being like... "Um, why don't you, you know, give these guys a bit of power? The same US that's, like, doing a madness. Seriously.
1: And the UK's like, oh, no, no. Childish and immature. Yeah. Like, because it's what? It's because it's not the way of living, the culture, isn't what you're doing, and so that makes it childish and immature. Uh,
0: Yeah, I'm failing to see how um, childish and immature people would be fighting for the British Empire against, you know that i know (laughs) honestly
1: why are you then asking them to come and fight for you because they're childish and immature because a kid is not going to be able to do that well do you know what i mean
0: yeah they keep on contradicting themselves here so yeah it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous you needed our
1: help but hey it was childish we were childish and immature but we could still you know put our lives on the line we're trying to prove ourselves to you by doing so. Yeah. But yeah. nope, still childish and immature. It's just completely, it makes zero sense.
0: In the period after the Second World War, the Gold Coast faced steep unemployment. This was due to ex-servicemen returning home after fighting for Britain. Another societal issue was breeding as well. Elementary school leavers with a year six education were classed as, quote, unskilled. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Shout, out Pretty Patel. (laughs) Yeah, loving that. Shout her out. I'm not shouting
1: her out. That was a negative (laughs) shout out. Unskilled. Unskilled. If you're new to
0: this, we we throw a lot of shade. So clearly, we are not endorsing Pretty Patel.
1: Definitely unskilled. And look at all the people unskilled saving our lives and keeping the country together. (laughs)
0: Bam. (laughs) And Western education alienated them from what would have been their traditional status in society. However, their low education level meant that they couldn't join the educated elite and work for the civil service, for example, so they were without work. These groups of people were classed as having, quote, low clerical skills and were therefore disillusioned and unemployed. These poor socio-economic conditions fueled mass support for Gold Coast African nationalist campaigns. The United Gold Coast Convention, also known as the UGCC, was founded in 1947 and was the first nationalist political party. Their aim was to oppose colonial rule with the aim of self-government in the shortest possible time. They believed that it was their responsibility to lead the country into a new age. The UGCC was somewhat conservative and were not seeking a drastic or revolutionary change. This group was frontlined by what was known as the Big Six. Ebenezer Ako Ajay, Edward akufo Ado, Joseph Bukwai-Dankwa, Kwame Nkrumah, Emmanuel Otsebi Lamptey, and William Ofori Atta. Nkrumah was invited to join the UGCC to become the party's general secretary, whilst the other men were founding members.
1: So now we'll look at the 1948 Accra riots. So, these riots have been credited as the straw that broke the camel's back and marked the beginning of the process for the Gold Coast to become the first African colony to achieve independence. In January 1948, Ni Kwambena Bone II was a Ga chief who organised a boycott of all European goods in response to their exceptionally high prices. Ga is a Ghanaian ethnic group. So, these high prices were taking a toll on living conditions in the Gold Coast. The campaign to boycott European imports formed part of preparing towards independence from Britain. Ghanaians were dissatisfied by their economy being dominated by foreigners. Also, many farmers felt that the colonial government were destroying cocoa trees affected by disease without prior consultation or adequate compensation for their losses. This is essentially a slap in the face because the British were, were even using cocoa revenues from the Gold Coast to prop up the Allied effort in World War Two. So, literally... These people have no shame. No shame.
0: And again, it just kind of shows what, what they were... what the British, you know, in their various... Uh, colonies just saw them as revenue streams essentially and just the people as disposable oh yeah yeah, definitely
1: on the last day of the boycott february 28th 1948 a group of ex-servicemen from the gold coast embarked on a peaceful march to the governor's office Their aim was to present a petition about unpaid wages and broken promises after their fight for the British in the Second World War. These former servicemen were among the most decorated African soldiers and fought alongside British troops in Burma. Jobs were cast and the promised pensions never surfaced. The ex-servicemen had every right to peacefully bring a petition to the governor. As the group neared the governor's residence, they were stopped and confronted by the colonial police, who refused to let the men through. The British head of police, Colin Imre, ordered his subordinate to shoot at the protesters, but the man shot into the air. Imre was frustrated at his subordinate's disobedience, so grabbing the gun, he shot into the crowd, killing three former soldiers, Sergeant Ajete, Corporal Atipore, and Private Odate Lamte. A further 60 servicemen were wounded. This act of unnecessary violence by the British colonial government lit the flame of people's anger in the already tense backdrop. News of these shootings spread through Accra and other major towns and cities in the Gold Coast. Accra went through days of rioting as the people vented their frustration and anger at the British colonial government. Asian and European-owned stores and businesses were looted. 29 people died and many more were injured. This
0: kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, any similarities? (laughs) You know, can Hmm. we... Black people being mistreated, you know, started off with a peaceful protest, but, you know, wasn't listened to. A bit like, you you know, how lots of Americans complained about calling Kaepernick um, kneeling. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, this is the thing, if people disagree with what you stand for, then they're going to find something like, oh no, but you should be protesting peacefully. But it's like, but when we protested peacefully, you you still had a problem, you know? How do you, you know, I don't think...
1: I think people have this idea there's a right way to protest. But the whole idea yeah. of protesting is to, for you to kind of be seen and heard. But the head of police shot at them.
0: <laughs> yeah, you guys started the violence anyway. So do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> We're
1: coming in here actually fighting for, not fighting, actually protesting against the fact that, you know, we want to be recognised for the work we did during the Second World War. And now yeah. the head of police is shooting at us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people then wonder why we're like, ooh, actually, there's all this systemic racism. Exactly.
0: And there's a quote from Kwame Ture, who was a prominent member of the Black Panther Party. In order for non-violence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. And I mean, in this case, he was referring to the United States, but you can see quite obviously that, you know, the, the British colonial government... Didn't have a conscience because it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna use this coca, you know, coca tree revenue, you know, to prop up our war efforts. Just gonna use your soldiers to fight against our enemies, but we're not gonna pay you the same, you know, we're not gonna treat you as an equal. Oh, you tried to Mm -hmm. just give me a petition, but I don't really want it. Oh, you know what? I'm just gonna shoot, like, I'm just gonna shoot, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah,
1: I just don't understand with this whole thing about not seeing black people as humans stems from do you see what i mean because just where is where does like honestly for me i don't understand where does that come from that you cannot see as a person just as you are the words that you throw out like childish and immature and when we looked at previous episodes it's you know we need to be civilized we need to be educated and it's just like at what point does that stop? At what point do you see then? Do you see us as humans with equal rights? Yeah. Who are just as capable? Um, yeah. Honestly, I yeah I don't know I don't know.
0: The I mean the whole thing was a social construct to begin with that was propagated by Europeans mm-hmm. to justify their actions and you know it just it kind of pervaded everything so for example you know religion was misused to uphold these values science was misused to uphold these Mm -hmm. values so like every part of the everything that they stood for kind of was used to hold these views so and then it's this sense of like believing in like your own
1: bullshit do you know what i mean (laughs) <laughs> no like it's just just to call it out do you know what I mean like you're saying like they've created <laughs> all of this idea so then they're able to justify you know taking all these resources yeah. and things but you're there believing your own yeah. bullshit and making sure that absolutely everybody from this day forward completely buys into yeah. it
0: it's isn't it so weird how it's just I know when people I find it really annoying when people say I can't believe it's still happening in 2020 but what i find quite fascinating is the fact that it's like this these beliefs have really just stayed and stuck Mm -hmm. um just with no sign of slowing down sadly um we moved on from the fact that the world was flat to the fact that yeah. the world
1: is round, but we can't. I'm so. I, I, but I've got. To, you've got to sometimes take
0: these things to, you know. Sometimes you have to retract the belief. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Guys. You're telling me that now the world is round. Ra- I mean, I'm not a true, a flat earther. I'm really not. And you know, I have a science degree. I know that it's a globe, right? But. <laughs> if you guys were able to move from the earth is flat to the earth is a globe i really
1: you can't recognize the humanity in another in a black person i don't see the excuse the arrest of the ugcc's big six took place turning them into national heroes boosting their political fortunes these events increased political awareness amongst the ghanaian population The 1948 riots shook the British colonial government to wake up from its state of complacency
0: and made it speed up constitutional reforms. So now we're at the um, inception of the Convention People's Party. Um, In 1949 Kwame Nkrumah broke away from the UGCC and set up the Convention People's Party, also known as the CPP, to campaign for independence. Unlike the UGCC, the CPP's aim was to aim for self-government now as opposed to within the shortest possible time. The CPP were a group of young political professionals known as the Veranda Boys and identified more with ordinary working class people than the UGCC and their seemingly upper class mannerisms. Nkrumah's style and promises appealed directly to the majority of workers, farmers and youth. He was a national leader who they could focus their hopes on. Influential women supported him and were effective channels of communication at a local level, spreading the word through marketplaces. The CPP had a highly effective women's wing and this was made up largely of women who, whilst crisscrossing the country to buy and sell, carried a spirit of self-determination. Let's not dismiss these women as simple market women, as they were also the financial backbone of the CPP party. In fact, it was Ghanaian market women who joined in the boycott of European goods put in place by Nikwa Benaboni and the Makola Women Association was a group that contributed immensely to Nkrumah's activities. Women were also influential in journalism, Mabel Dove Dankwa is an example. Mabel used her column in the Times of West Africa newspaper to urge Ghanaians to continue fighting for independence and also called women to take up an active role in the fight against colonisers. She is also the first woman to have been elected into the African Legislative Assembly. So, as John Bieger says, black men, we need to protect our black women.
1: (laughs) I honestly, I've fallen so hard in love with that guy right now. It's unreal. It's just, just,
0: (laughs) oh. John Bieger, what a guy. He's really risking his career to speak up. A, I love the fact that he
1: highlighted... The fact that he says, like, basically, I don't know if I'll have a job after saying all of this, just also emphasises the problem that we have. Yeah. Like, because that Amy Cooper woman was not thinking about she whether she'd be losing her a... She not
0: job, was she? But she got no, fired she was anyway. Not,
1: well, she got fired anyway. She wasn't like, I'm not sure about how this is going to impact my career, but um, an African-American man is telling me to put my dog on a leash because, you know it's what i should be doing you know but hey
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just like he has to think about his job but you know amy didn't have to think about her job and that my friend is a white privilege
1: Uh uh-huh done look at it
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's a very fiery episode today but we're just really pumped (laughs) In February 1951, the first elections were held for the Gold Coast Legislative Assembly under the new constitution for the colony. These elections saw Nkrumah and the CPP sweep the polls whilst in prison, winning a two-thirds majority of the 104 seats. Charles Arden Clark, the British governor of the Gold Coast, authorised Kwame Nkrumah's release of imprisonment and invited him to form a government with the position Leader of Government Business, which was a similar position to a prime minister. This was a major milestone to independence and self-governance, and was also known as the Kosi Constitution. However, the Gold Coast was not yet entirely independent, with ministries of defence and external affairs still in the hands of British officials. A year later, Nkrumah became Ghana's first Prime Minister after a constitutional amendment. Nkrumah was the first black PM in Africa under the British colonial system. Another new constitution was formed in 1954, followed by elections in the same year, which was won by the CPP. In 1956, following another convincing election victory by the CPP, the Gold Coast became the first sub-Saharan African state to gain independence. But we really can't count apartheid South Africa at this point, um, despite them technically gaining independence, as obviously it was under the apartheid regime. On March 6, 1957, which is um, Ghana's Independence Day, the Gold Coast was gone and was rebirthed with Ghana as its new name. This essentially set off a domino effect as by 1977, 54 African countries were emancipated from European rule. In fact, all Britain's remaining colonies in Africa were granted independence by 1968, with the exception of Southern Rhodesia, which is now known today as Zimbabwe. And uh, yeah, we do have a Zimbabwe episode as well. So I'm just going to plug ourselves and tell you to check that out if you haven't. Yeah, already.
1: plug. Hun, to be honest, at uni, I used to love referencing myself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> when You, <laughs> you actually carved <carbon> reference me. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do that. You know, if, if in doubt you can't find the sources, reference yourself. Just like, you know, when you were talking about... Um, how
0: like britain were literally not letting go of ghana <laughs> they didn't want they to didn't be like, they were like <laughs> we'll stop because they were going broke from world war ii i think because i think if there wasn't world war ii how scary would it to be to think that actually these colonies might have just just mm-hmm. still been there because by the time that people in in these various colonies were like no we've had enough of this it's not as if the UK could really do much because they were already pretty much bankrupt from World War Two, Despite, obviously, using resources from the various... Yeah, from these countries that they have... They're still bankrupt. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if not for that, it's... um, I, I wonder, you know, how history would have gone. It's... um, Yeah, it's really interesting to to think about that. And I think an important point to make is just also because
1: they've... You know, independence and all of that. I think it's also important to recognise it, it doesn't mean that, especially from a West perspective, yeah. that we've n- that there's still not that hold over the continent.
0: Yes, I think it's very easy to kind of feel like, oh, everyone's free, love it. Yeah, no, that's when our our good friend foreign policy uh, rears its uh, mm-hmm, <laughs> its familiar face. So yeah.
1: Let's have a look at modern day Ghana. So between the 4th and 13th century, uh, Ghana was named after the medieval Ghana Empire of West Africa. The actual name of the empire was Wagadougou. The original Gold Coast flag symbolised the supremacy of the British Empire. And guys, once again, this is definitely Trash. a flag. Basura. Look up time. Because <laughs> this, this flag is... Basura. When you feel like... Okay, I'm a little bit more experienced on paint on the laptop. And when I'm thinking um, Africa and Ghana, mm, you know, they elephants? were. Elephants! So, oh, yeah, elephants, you know, yeah. sunny weather, got just. Let's so put like a Great
0: Britain flag as well, you know, just to.
1: What? Yeah, just on the corner there, just. Cause- wow <laughs> God definitely want to that. look up because it's <laughs> literally just...
0: google gold coast flag and
1: i don't know it feels like they had a school kid competition be like guys we've got another country for us and um, we're doing a competition if we can come up with the best they...
0: flag so <laughs> i think it's literally like one of the cabinet members got their children to design it or something because i i i don't know how they came up with that concept i just don't get it
1: today thankfully ghana's flag um all brand new um so the flag itself today has a black star on top of three stripes uh, which is which are red gold and green the star is inspired by marcus garvey's black star line madame Theodosia Salomi oko designed the flag she was an artist and stateswoman and in an interview she explained that she decided on the three colors of red gold and green because of the geography of ghana ghana lies in the tropics and blessed with rich vegetation and the color gold was influenced by the mineral rich nature of our land and red commemorates those who died or worked for the country's independence then the five-pointed lone star which is the symbol of african emancipation and unity in the struggle against colonialism
0: So what happened next? Well, President Nkrumah launched a series of popular social projects in Ghana and was well-loved by Ghanaians, including the Organisation of African Unity, which was set up in 1963. The key aims of the OAU were to encourage political and economic integration and to eradicate colonialism and neo-colonialism from the African continent. This was used as a model for the Organisation of African American Unity, the OAAU. Which was established by Malcolm X. Incriment was deposed. I'm um, sure we can guess how those who are <laughs> mm-hmm. who are long term listeners of the podcast we we all know how it goes down. So. Um, It was a coup.
1: Always a classic Um,
0: coup. A classic coup. But some say that this was a CIA-supported coup, which kind of puts a different perspective on the nature of coups, um, particularly in the African continent, because we always forget um, that there could be, you know, another influence that causing these coups to happen. And the resulting effect is that it makes the continent look unstable. But that's my tea for today. on february the 24th 1966 Nkrumah was on a peace mission aimed at bringing the end of u.s intervention in vietnam which is ironic because the us is involved <laughs> in this coup in ghana <laughs> this mission was in china and was with premier chao and link of the people's republic of china premier chao informed president Nkrumah that there'd been a coup in ghana so imagine being you know away from your country wow. and then hearing that there's a coup in the country that you're supposed to be leading like this is a bit more than the kids taking over when they're home alone yeah do
1: you know I me mean? you just be like oh not again another coup guys!" <laughs>
0: it's like <laughs> what sorry After the coup took place, a declassified document by the President's Acting Special Assistant for National Security Affairs, which is a long name for a job title that involves not minding your business, basically, wrote a congratulatory memo, which is a declassified document which we've put in the episode notes. This document stated, The coup in Ghana is another example of a fortuitous windfall. Nkrumah was doing more to undermine our interest than any other black African. In reaction to his strongly pro-communist leanings, the new military regime is almost pathetically pro-Western. So if we just put this against the backdrop of the Cold War, and we do see a similar thing happening with Sankara. Um, ultimately, he was deposed by a coup, and um, he was leaning on enemies of, quote, the West. So like Cuba, for example, at like communist leanings, and um, basically any socialist African... That is not um, wanted, apparently. That's yeah. not... Do you know what I mean? The US are just (laughs) like, nope. Or like, mysteriously, there's a coup. It just all of a
1: sudden happens, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it kind of links back to the point that we say about when a country is independent. It really doesn't mean that they're really, that they're truly independent, because... This kind of stuff mm. still happens.
1: No, definitely, definitely. And it's just the fact that it just goes to shows again, yeah, the power and the hold they still have, regardless. Um
0: Yeah, it kind of links back to the point that we say about when a country is independent. It really doesn't mean that they're really that they're truly independent, because this kind of stuff still happens. John Stockwell, a CIA officer at the time, who is now known as a critic of US foreign policy, made the following statement. Howard Bain who was a CIA station chief in Accra, engineered the overthrow of Kwame Nkrumah. Inside the CIA, it was quite clear, Howard Bain got a double promotion and was awarded the intelligence staff for the overthrow of Kwame. The magic of it was that Howard Bain had enough imagination and drive to run this operation without ever documenting what he was doing. And there wasn't one shred of paper that was generated that would name the CIA hierarchy as being responsible. You managed to engineer a whole overthrow without any text evidence. <laughs> show your workings. Do you know what I mean?
1: And I write absolutely everything down and I don't know if this comes from doing maths in school. I mean, like, you know, show your workings because you still get, you still get, you still get marks for ma- that. And I know it, I've got friend. the wrong answer, but hey, I'm still, I'm I still, still going to show marks the, yeah, you know I'm going to show there was some thought in this, but
0: geez, to write nothing down. <laughs> he did it all in his head. The irony is, obviously, we do have evidence, I mean, not only from um, Document 260, but also in the age of information and WikiLeaks. We now know that CIA ties to the destruction of Kwame Nkrumah ran deep. CIA has also stuck its nose in the affairs of other African countries, with Patrice Lumumba's assassination in Congo being the most widely known affair. We've also um, attached the BBC News article in the episode show notes that shows some other uh, like instances where the US has decided to just get involved because, hey they just mm-hmm. can't help it just can't help themselves like honestly it's like a relationship
1: where you've literally you're trying to get rid of this person but they're just like forever messaging like hey you up um can can i can we talk can we <laughs> talk can we talk? <laughs>
0: literally you're like move on it's just they just they honestly they have as we said before they have an innate inability to just mind their business like oh sorry oil i'm there oh sniffing communism i'm there i'm there mm. like just, they're just
1: there they're just doing the most darn you don't need to be involved in this many things so following the coup ghana was bled dry after 19 years of prosperity Nkrumah fled to exile in guinea there were seven military coup and during the 1950s the world celebrated in krumah and ghana but after the coup the americans painted ghana and krumah as corrupt and unstable. So still got to maintain that narrative. Um, yeah,
0: even through the bitter end. Still have to look unsteady and the opposite of Theresa May's strong and stable, although we all know how that went. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Even though she was saying it, she was not looking strong or <laughs> Neither of the two options there.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that is the story of Ghana, And I feel like this one has so much, like literally such a reflection of also what we're currently going through at the moment yeah in so many ways like and it's just yeah it's crazy that you know this was happening back then but actually right here and now we definitely
0: it's very cyclic because i mean until the the you know the key issue is resolved which is this whole idea of black people still being viewed as lesser than we're still going to face these problems we're still going to you know until that is corrected we're just not going to see the end of it unfortunately and that sounds cynical but it's really just because we've that it's just what we've been experiencing and we've been talking about it for so long so yeah i don't know man yeah i do want to be like optimistic about it because i feel like you know
1: our parents generation generation like before them we're kind of like, do you know what, this is... As long as you prepare your kids about what it means to be black in society and you try and best prepare them, then that's all you can do. But actually, I just... I do hope, like, with everything that's happening at the moment, that we really do... It does opens people's eyes to actually be like, do you know what? This is rubbish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that, yeah, the onus is really... Because there's been so much focus on black parents tearing their children this life will be hard for you which you know it is but I think the onus is really now the shoe is now on the other foot because we need people telling their children no like definitely you know you like black people are not criminals you know they need to if you need to learn that unlearn that unconscious bias in yourself and then pass that on to your children and I think that that will probably be a starting point because I guess the way to change society it begins in the home mm-hmm Definitely. Um, so I, I guess that's how these attitudes have still persisted mm-hmm. to today so that is a wrap for season
1: one we've done it it has been like Thank you so much to everyone. If you're new from this episode and you've been supporting us from episode one, thank you for listening. Thank you for the messages, the emails, the support. Like we honestly massively appreciate it and your encouragement. Like it means absolutely everything to us. We love doing the research and just learning more about um countries from the continent. But also just yeah, you guys also enjoying it and
0: getting to learn as well I think is yeah is is important. It it keeps us going doesn't it just to see that like you guys are also equally as excited about learning and unlearning you know all these conceptions Mm. about the continent with us.
1: Yeah no definitely because like you said it's not just about us teaching we are also learning and we're learning as well in this process so I think that's also been like for me like something I'm I've really enjoyed doing this.
0: We're going to have a short break but we're not going to be keeping quiet so make sure you're following us on Instagram as at pods to you know hang with us and uh, we'll be launching a giveaway soon so keep an eye out for that. Yes and cannot
1: wait for us to go on to season two. We'll have more exciting content next season and please do share with us your suggestions and about what you want to learn in season two, because yeah, we do listen and want to make sure that you guys also get to learn about, yeah, areas that you're interested in around the continent and elements of history that were missed out. So we've already had some great recommendations so far. So do listen out in season two, where we will be
0: educating in some of your recommendations. So we're we're actually gonna take a short break while we recharge and you know, launch a couple of exciting stuff and we'll be back in five weeks time um, and in the meantime please continue to leave us reviews on your listening platform thank you so much guys and we will see you guys uh, very soon see you very soon, stay bye. safe bye